Welcome to Very Honored Fraternity's Esoteric Nerd Podcast, Episode 34, in which I interview Jonathan Drew Wood. Hello. But first, Transformation and Fitness. Chapter 1, Verse 6. Sometimes you even get to think that your brain understands it. What really makes it entangling is when what you think is your understanding in the brain makes you talk and act in a way that pleases you and makes others give you agreement. Then you get to think you're winning and you really have it beat. And you may be in a life form, in something they call here a country, in something else they think is real and label a time, like a year counted after the guest at death and return of someone they refer to, most often unconsciously, as the personification of the Christ and call it 1976. And the country might be something called, by general agreement, in a language which has split from other babblings amoeba-like and come to be called English, the United States. You might even get to live in something else they in the flesh place call a city, and be given lots of agreement in a form they call being wealthy, and do some things they label the good life or the sweet life, and then not enjoy it. And now for the footnotes. You get to think your brain understands it. Isn't it the brain that thinks? You, yeah. It becomes entangling. So this was in the in the previous verses he was talking about things that keep you coming back in the reincarnation cycle, things that draw you back into the flesh. And so kind of as a continuation of that idea is when is when what you're doing and what you're saying makes other people say, yes, yes, keep doing and saying that. And you get to feel good about yourself and you're given agreement in the form of being wealthy, but then you don't enjoy it. It's it's all it all makes it very entangling. Good stuff. Good stuff. Our guest tonight is a friend of mine. I've, I think I, I've known him for... Uh, 2009. 2009. So. 2009. Six years. Um, I've uh, been, been friends uh, in the context of the Golden Dawn, and, uh, well, I suppose uh, we could get to the interview, shall we? Is the transition really necessary? I'm already here talking. Yeah, it seems kind of weird, you know. <laughs> Greetings, Fredder. Welcome to the Esoterra Nerd Podcast. Glad to be here. <laughs> so what should we talk about? Oh, there's so much. I know. There's Okay, there's so, so there's much. Masons. There's been a lot of Masons on lately. Uh, there's Amwork. That's always fun. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. There's Golden Dawn shenanigans. Mm-hmm. There's this latest thing. There's a couple of the, uh, the Voldemorts uh, have been talking about how uh, France... It's because France doesn't let its citizens have uh, guns that it, this wouldn't have happened. This whole thing wouldn't have happened. And so I, I, just, I just pointed out that that's basically not... People want to get really, really upset about that and say, a couple of fucking conservatives are that are running Golden Dawn Orders. And, you know, it's just that's kind of falling right into the game. And the game is diversion. It's, it's just PR. It's the same game as, you know, what if, the, what if it wasn't about whether or not I fucked a 15-year-old? What if it, this was about whether you're a Christian or a pagan? That was the game in 2002. Now the game is, hey, why don't we get all the conservatives since they have all the money anyway? 
and that's the game they're playing. So if you want to rage against that, if you want, I'll, I'm just pointing it out so that people who are, you know, a little bit more alert and awake and, and, and listening to this podcast, for instance, will, if it wasn't obvious before, that's what that's about is money and uh, positioning and uh, advertising. And, uh, well, I mean, the media does it all the time. Why wouldn't mm-hmm. they? You know, it's the same thing. It's, yeah, there's a lot of similarities between what Fox News does and what, you know, that particular Voldemort does. And now that they're in cahoots, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious. You know, as soon as it happened, a couple hours of the old noodle going round and round, a phone call and, uh, hey, you know what we ought to do? And then next thing you know, two simultaneous blog posts. It's an interesting development that... Uh, Mm. The two the two scumbags in the community have joined forces, um, which is which is the polar opposite of what you were possibly accused of, but didn't do, which is joining up forces with the uh, with the uh, previous imperator of an organization that suddenly wants to start playing the victim, you know. Hmm. But uh, the the Gary Stewart thing, you know, of course the, he's like he's like their number one enemy number one, you know, instead of Harry Potter. So of oh they, Gary, oh oh, yeah. I didn't even know the guy. He was the one that the the I someone had said I heard he was in on this. Yeah, talking about my podcast, right, and, and my announcement about Amwork. Well, Gary Stewart, what mm-hmm. was his story? You know, I'm, I wasn't around for that. Um, becoming a member of Amwork way after that, but from from what I understand. Um, the typical channel through which this would happen would be the previous imperator would choose somebody. He'd do the laying on of hands and say, you're the next guy. You know, my number one special guy or whatever. And, mm-hmm. and he picked this guy named, uh, Gary Stewart. And apparently everybody else thought, well, what's he doing? He doesn't see this guy for what we see him as or what. Right. So that's their side of the story. Thing, yeah. So they, they decide, well, um, <laughs> he, they decide he must have been, you know, Hypnotizing him or something to get him mm. to put him in power. I don't know what they're. I've heard was. that story before. So they they basically ousted in a him. different context though. But here's the other thing about it is that um, it, it coincided, um, whether or not it was before or after the fact is a chicken and egg argument. But what happened at that point is they said, you know, there's way too easy for somebody to come in and mess with all our money, and and big part of it was that he be, he did become the imperator. I think for a short time, if I understand it correctly. And there were some charges of embezzlement. Ooh. And so there was actually a court trial in which he was ousted. Huh. And uh, the court documents are out there. You can find them online. Okay. Yeah. okay. Um, but essentially um, what did happen, maybe as a result of that or maybe as the whole thing from the beginning, who knows, was that Amorc switched from a fraternal uh, you know, type organization over to a business. Mm. Charitable business, of, of, you know, based on their tax status. But the idea is now it's run where you have a, a grand master who's also the CEO, and you have the grand officers, which may or may not be part of the, you know, the um, the council or or the the board of directors. And so it's been like that ever since. And and uh, you know, it, again, it's like did they do that because they were trying to do that anyways, and this person was against it, and they got him out, or was it a combination of those things? Who knows? And it's probably a step in the right direction. It's like, it sounds to me a little bit like, um, you know, similar to some of the developments that happens, you know, in the group that we were from in certain directions, like moving on from an older arcane system that kind of resembles a monarchy uh, to something that resembles more like a, a republic or maybe a representative thing. Maybe not quite as extreme as a representative democracy, but like a, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. at least... 
at least a, a board, you know, something a little more bureaucratic. And finally moving into the 18th century or something like that. I think there was a board before that, actually, the board of directors, but I don't know if it was called the board of directors or, or the council, high council, whatever they had, right. you know. But, you know, there's things about it that may have been good, but um, the net result, in my opinion, was that it's coming from a perspective of a business first. That's how it seems. And and I'm not just somebody that was a member that said, oh, I heard this rumor uh, about this, and I think it seems to be true. I was an employee there, so being behind the scenes and seeing a lot of, of how that line between a business decision and, and a decision about something that's going on within the fraternity gets drawn, and in most cases, that was the business side that was the more important of the two. I think that, I think that, like, what I feel, I mean, after having listened to the episodes previous, you know, a couple of times, from the point of view of a member, of a, if, you know, because I have that little place I like to refer to as above and behind my right ear, mm-hmm. where all the other people, my concept of how other people think is recorded. And right. so, so sometimes I re-listen to my old episodes from the point of view of other mm-hmm. points of view. And, um, you know, I just... It is absurd to say. I mean, not. I'm not. I'm not pointing a finger right now. I'm pointing a finger at myself, because there was one point where I had said, you know, a real Rosicrucian is someone who's been through the initiation levels of the Golden Dawn Order, uh, either solo or in a, you know, ritual ceremony, or it's anyone except for, you know, Amor. Uh, but I mean, then, you know, okay, so I took that back. I took that down. I didn't go to that extreme. That was kind of my initial kind of emotional, uh, you know, and I got to look at what are my reactive buttons that are being pushed here, you know, and then basically it comes and down what to... what scripts are attached to Yeah. Them. Yeah. What arrogance is is masking itself with humility, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, because to say within one's heart, I am a Rosicrucian, is supposed to evoke a tremendous amount of humility. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's, I mean, the, these businessmen you know, that are using the name Rosicrucian Order are, are, are aware, you know, or they don't care, but I mean, you know, it's sort of a joke that, that the, the people who are the actual Rosicrucians would not speak up. I mean, what would you do, you know, if someone came along and said, I'm the Rosicrucian Order when you're the real Rosicrucian Order and you're supposed to be quiet and silent? Yeah. And they know that. So it's like, you know, well, if you're really it, then you wouldn't be, you wouldn't have any problem with me doing this, would you? Because you only have, you have to just stay quiet. Yeah. Um, well, so it's and, weird. And the thing is, too, is they, you know, we can't live in a vacuum. We know that there are other organizations that, that are at least as irrelevant, uh, or, or more relevant than Amwork who are doing similar work. But there, and, what I wanted to get, get, what I wanted to get to was that there, I think there's real Rosicrucians in Amwork. Yeah. I think that there's people who are members, card-carrying members of Amwork who work in the shop in the front who might be listening to me right now and, and wondering what horrible thing I'm going to say about Amwork. And I just wanted to say that, is that, is that I, you know, want to sincerely acknowledge the veracity of the Rosicrucianness of the people who in their hearts yes. embody the principles of, that, that, you know, maybe they also disagree with the decisions or maybe they agree because i can see the other point of view yeah. because i mean even just listening to my own self here i am saying 
I thought I was going to be in the Rosicrucian order, and here I was in this weird little cult with this con artist, and it was all about war, and I had a sword that had war written on it. And then, meanwhile, in my next breath, I'm saying Amwork shouldn't be suing these these fruity cults for for saying that they're Rosicrucian orders. So it's like maybe yeah. uh, maybe there's another point of view there. Maybe huh. there's an Am maybe yeah. maybe there's there's I mean, and I so I'm I'm acknowledging that it's it's, like, e it's easy to see why they find it necessary. I absolutely agree yeah, with that. And, yeah, and and some of it is self-preservation because they want to de define what they are not. Right. And 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 but there's but there's another side to it as well. I think at the end of the day, and maybe this is my own personal philosophy. The the Freemasons for many many years had a policy of of just ignoring their detractors, and it actually worked a lot better than yeah. what a lot of modern orders do. Um, and really, it's, it's you know, you're just getting pulled in. It's just the polarization. It's There are people who are at Amwork who are probably members who are deriving a lot of good things from it. And I was one of those members. I, I think that it's, it's a valuable starting place. And I say starting place because I've learned a lot of things since then that that I weren't contained in the, in the lessons. But you, you have to realize, and I'm, I'm not being judgmental when I say this, I'm just pointing out that the way that the organization um, impresses itself upon its members throughout the monographs and throughout the things they say is is through constant um, demonstrations of their value. Like, you know, we have this archive, um, Rosicrucians have always felt this way about this new scientific breakthrough. We knew it before, and as a member of this order... You're you're better off. I mean, there's a lot of that propaganda, and and I think that some of that's necessary when you're trying to take something on its own merits and understand it. Sometimes but people but people grow up with it. But yeah, but it's it's also not until you get away from the organization that you can say, well, now I actually have some clarity about what was good, what wasn't good. Right. And you have to get to that point, and you can get to that point while you're still a member. You just have to be aware. You you know, again, what are the scripts that you're running? Yeah. But I mean, I think that there's people by now, plenty of people, that grew up with Amwork materials around the house, and, you know, they light their candles on certain days with their family, because that's what Amwork members do, and I don't want to alienate, I, I, I just, I want to, I want to reach out and say, you know, I'm sorry for the harshness of some of my earlier episodes, they were meant to be directed to Julie Scott and not to any of you. Yeah, and it's just about the decision to have the lawyer go after other groups. It really has nothing to do with the whether you guys are are good or not. Clearly, that's a that's a, a beautiful location up there. I do want to go visit one day. I still haven't been, um, but uh, it's very immersive. And I will say that being in Amwork really gave me a good footing in the Western mysteries, having a magical way of life. In other right. words, because it's so immersive and. And, you know, if not for some of the negative experiences that I had later on, which, by the way, weren't as attached to the order as they were to the corporation yeah. as an employee, I think there were a lot of really, really good things. It was very magical. I mean, for me, it was totally immersive. I was very, very into it. It was something that I could totally put my whole self into. Yeah. And I think that probably still exists for a lot of people. And so keep doing that. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just we can say... You know, any good organization or any good person uh, who says a lot of things that, that are valuable can say a, a stupid thing or do a stupid thing once in a while, and we can still say, well, that was stupid. Or something, you know, you when, know? It, when you take a stand on something that isn't 100% obviously not questionable, right. then, you know. But, I mean, in this case, I think that maybe they genuinely didn't know 
that there were going to be a few people like Peregrine and Nick Farrell and myself and, and I'm sure certainly many others who felt so strongly that they shouldn't be claiming the name in a way where they stick a lawyer on people that people should be allowed in this Aquarian age to start organizations with the phrase Rosicrucian Order in the name of the organization and to do their best to embody the principles of, of Rosicrucianity, yes. uh, whether it be through the lineage of this lineage, that lineage, that lineage, that lineage, right. or, or, you know. I mean, some of them are coming up with new stuff. I'm a little skeptical about when people say, oh, this was channeled. But, I mean, you know, there's plenty of stuff that, if you go far enough back, you know, it's yeah. like the, the source documents behind a lot of the Golden Dawn stuff was channeled, even right. by the founders. So. Yeah. And, and it's it just odd to me, too, because the Amwork is their, is their moniker. And, and it almost seems like that. And you, I'm sure you can find stuff from Harvey Spencer Lewis, who, who started the organization, saying that, we're going to differentiate ourselves from these other Rosicrucian orders by saying that we are Amwark. Not only are we ancient and mystical, we're an order of the Rose Cross. And that's how you know that that's us. And so even to this day, it's everything is Rosicrucian order Amwark. So I don't know why their insistence upon we're the only people who are really recognized as the Rosicrucian order. I mean, that's what Amwark is for. That's yeah, your I, way of differentiating yourself. I still think yourself, that's very wrong you know? for them to be doing, yeah, yeah. for sure. But, but at any rate... Um, I think that one of the things that I, I really would like to see, and other people who I, I have a lot of friends that I still um, have a good, strong relationship with who were other AMWARF members that I met. And and one of the things that we've all liked to see is it to embrace some of the, the aspects of its of its credo, which is the manifesto, for example, that they put out in 2004 called the Positio, the position of the fraternity, where they talked about, you know, kind of a, this utopian idea where everybody has a part in making each other's needs happen, and we're not uh, we're not jealous, we're not you know all these ideals that really have to do with with your heart, your heart center, and, and kind of like oh, what Isis Aquarian was saying on your interview with her, which I love, was living in the vibration of your heart center. Yeah, and it and, and it protecting you and basically keeping you from doing things for the wrong reasons. But um, I don't see a lot of that there. I you know the, the impression that I got was when H. Spencer Lewis was was the the founder was still imperator and and probably for his son as well there was this amount of transparency where he said i may be the person up here at the top of the pyramid because i started this but we're all members and um you want to know what your dues are paying for here's a pamphlet that shows this last year all the things that we paid for and that kind of transparency that was very important and and i think that has gone away since it it became a corporation and so there there is a little bit of the direction is going in which is tending more towards well we're running this this way, so we don't owe anybody an explanation, you know. And so you don't know. And that, that was the just to be honest with everybody that's listening. The reason why I left the organization was because um, I really wasn't sure how the money that I gave them every month was being used. And and for me personally, I thought, well, you know, I just I have some doubts about this, and I just don't want to give money to something. I mean, the main reason I that I left was because was was putting money towards it and not knowing where it was going. I'd like to know where it was. And that might be because of the Masonic influence. When I became a Mason, everything is voted on. You know, everything that you spend in the lodge is accounted for, is transparent. You get a, a full participation in what's going on, you know. I honestly, I mean, I've been interviewing a lot of Masons, and I, I was kind of troubled I didn't want the Esoteric Nerd podcast to become a Masonic podcast because I don't, I can't really get behind something that still is boys only. I mean, I, I love the co-Masons. 
And I respect that the Masons have history, but their history goes back before women had the right to vote. And there's a place you can protest and demand the right to vote, but there's no place you can protest and demand to be a Mason because the Masons just say, I'm not allowed to discuss that, young lady. Mm -hmm. And so it just keeps on going the way it's always gone, which is interesting and fascinating. And I appreciate the people involved and, and I appreciate uh, what they have to offer. I just, you know, want to clarify that. So I guess I've said it out loud now, so I don't really need to worry about that. But, but I mean, I, I want to see more of the co-masons. Like I, I, I think that I'd like, I'd like to get behind some of that. You know, maybe. Uh, but it'd be cool if there was stuff that it was as cool as what's going on over at the Culver City Fauché Lodge going yeah. on with the co-masons, or if yeah. they could somehow make the Culver City Fauché Lodge into a co-mason lodge. Ooh, that'd be interesting. Yeah. Well, and and one of the things, and and I totally recognize that. I was actually very. Happy to know that the Grand Secretary of the, the Masonic, um, California Masons, I should say, the Grand Secretary was saying, yeah, I get calls from women who want to say, can I join? And he'd say, well, there's this organization over here that admits men and women. Let me give you their number. And I thought that was great. It was yeah. a great approach. Um, but being a Mason, it's one of those things where, um, a, a lot of the things that are discussed are, are done in a way that it, it allows men to, uh, connect with with other men and be vulnerable in a way that gets shut down when there's women around. And it's not because there's anything that's, that women are at fault for, but because the way that men act around women. In order to strip that away and to just say, um, this is all men only, there's a lot of places like that for women. And and so it's not like masonry says we don't want women around. It's just masonry says what we do works for men. It's and also doesn't the, work for women. I mean, there's the whole thing. It's cliche. Like every town you go into, there's a Masonic thing. There's a big building with a Masonic thing, and everybody's connected. You, you, all the, you know, the Ford dealers a Mason, and he gives a deal to the other Mason who runs the place down the street. All the CEOs are Masons, and so I mean, it's it's an insidiously tied into to the issue of of inequality between the sexes in this and any other country where the Masons exist. Like, what's with the co-Masons? Are, are, are there a lot of them? I mean... There are quite a few. And, and in fact, there, there's been a surprising movement in co-Masonry with, with women splitting off and having women-only lodges. And the reason why well, is... Well, yeah, Eastern Star, all my ancestors it, on my not even, not, not even Eastern Star. Star. I'm talking about Masonic lodges where they do the three degrees nice. of Masonry and it's okay. all women. And the reason why they do that is they decided, you know, it's actually easier without men around because we can open up to each other. I mean... Masonry in itself, and, and I won't go too deeply into this, but the symbolism of Masonry and the lessons that are imparted to a member through the symbolism and the way that they're explained applies to males. It's like the idea of Do saying, they have to change it for the women lodges? They should, in my opinion. So it's not one of those things where it says, um, this is, this is something that would be ruined by women. It's something that's, instead of saying that, they say, this is something that really works well for men in this environment. And we hope women have something like that too, but this isn't that place because what we're talking about is for men. Hmm. So that's the way that it really, and, and part of it, you're right. There's, you know, again, not living in a vacuum. When it started out, it started out as the, the guilds, uh, who were different, um, types of, of, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, building trades that were specifically only men. And it's not because women couldn't do it. Maybe they couldn't. I don't know how they looked at it back then, but they just weren't. And yeah. so one of the surprising things, and people often wonder about the um, the Rosicrucian manifestos and the Rosicrucian order and how that kind of dovetails into masonry, one of the, the new ideas that different uh, Masonic writers are, are looking into is the idea that possibly when masonry went from this organization of, of working men who actually went out and physically worked with the tools, which we call operative lodges, 
who operated that way, into speculative lodges where we're not all going to go out and work on a cathedral, but we're still going to talk about these things. That may have been the Rosicrucian manifestos that heralded that change by people saying, there's an organization out there that can teach you all this stuff, and, oh, maybe it's masonry. So mm. they started admitting more people that were not actual operative masons. And so all the things that they were doing as operative masons, um, they had basically you're living in a, in a world where you have to know a lot of things to be working on a cathedral. You need to understand mathematics, geometry. You have very conversant with the stories of the Bible because the stained glass windows and the symbolism that you're putting on the places. This is stuff that normally you'd have to go to school to learn. So because you learned it from your father and then from the other person who taught you who was your, your master mason who you were studying under as an apprentice, you would have to have somebody who knew all these things to be able to come in and do this work. If they didn't know those things, they wouldn't be able to do it. So there was a couple of things that happened as a result of this. One is they needed a way to recognize each other. And this is in a society where there was not paper readily available. So that's where the signs and recognitions, signs and mode of recognition came from. And a lot of these practices that indoctrinated somebody to, to their new family. And because it was always men, some of those things made their way into modern masonry. Some of them only just as a reference. Maybe it's not connected in any way. Like they didn't actually do that the same way 200 years ago or 400 years ago. But, um, so in that respect too, that the, the idea that it's, it's, it's something that is so old and valuable, um, a lot of people are cha afraid of changing it too much to lose yeah. that kind of stuff because it's, uh, it's like, uh, it's been around so long. It's like somebody that. going and saying, the Declaration of Independence is a great piece of art. Um, you know, it's a great piece of work. Um, but there were some notes that I had about certain <laughs> things they said. And, and they didn't know this back then because now we're in the future and we know these things. So I'm going to just put some, um, some, some notes on here. Uh, you know, footnote one. This didn't actually work. Well, you know what I mean? That's that, kind of what it was. Yeah. I mean, in, the, in that society of creative anachronism sense, I can acknowledge that in the future, when we do revise the Declaration of Independence and all of that, there will be places we can go where in the way, the same way we have a Renaissance fair, mm -hmm. there'll be like a, uh, you know, uh, a Jeffersonian fair, you know, or a, or a 20, 20th century fair where we can go and, and, and then live according to the old Declaration of Independence. But you know, I mean, so I mean, on that level, I can I can see the value in it. But I just think, as far as the world as it is and ought to be moving forward, I think that the places where you know the people who help each other out, who are in power, who all live according to certain principles, ought to do so in a place that doesn't necessitate that it be men only. Yeah, absolutely. And abs there and, ought to be a new one, and, and that, that is more popular and more connected than than the old one that is men only i mean when i interviewed uh, the 13 moon mystery priestess i think that's great that that's going on right that there's like maybe 50 people who are all looking out for each other and give and 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 giving each other a break on their on their loans and and stuff but i mean it's not nearly as widespread as the masons it probably actually is as because it's not as many people as you think huh. but but i want to point out that there's no reason why these has to be mutually exclusive they can both exist. You can have places where uh, there are men who go and they do their man's only thing with other men who are friends, and it's like a, a guy's night out. And then they have things where they do interact with women, like in the, in the Golden Dawn or in, in Rosicrucian Order Amorc right. or places like that. And they don't, you know, there's a, maybe an assumption that because Masons is men only that the, every man that goes there walks out of the thing and, you know, i got to make sure that women don't get in on what I'm doing in my life. You know, <laughs> it's not like that. You can, you can have both. You can have two feelings about something. Right. You know, so they don't have to be chauvinists. They don't have to say, I'm only going to help out other men. But chauvinists are perfectly welcome. I mean, from yes. what I've heard, if yes. you don't mind my bringing it up, 
you know, that there was a lodge that that there was a gay person that, you know, wanted to get in and that was like, oh, well, you have to understand that these guys over here think you're going to go to hell and uh, they have a right to their opinion, too. So you're going to be really uncomfortable here. So you might want to go to the other lodge down the street. That was one of the unfortunate things. I thought it was something that didn't need to come up. Right. And it was, and, and it was an error, I think, on the part of the, the master of the lodge that year that said, I, I better check with the guys first. And it's not something that is any of their business. Yeah. You know, but it was also at the request of the candidate. The candidate said, hey, I want to make sure everybody knows this because I'm not going to hide it. I'm going to be myself. And if they're going to have problems about it, I want to find out now rather than after. So I don't think it's a good thing that the guy yeah. said, well, we don't, we don't know if we're going to, like, you know, Comfortable with the other. That was their problem, right? You know? So, but that's but that's just. Well, we're not saying which lodge that was. Is just it, because should, should I cut that out or? No, as long as we don't say what lodge it was. Okay, yeah. yeah, but but that's just where that lodge was at the time, and um, I don't. I think right now it's probably not that same place. And basically, basically, well, it had Boda, to do with... Boda was like that in the eighties. Between nineteen eighty three and nineteen eighty nine, yeah. they were taking an anti gay stance right. publicly. Bil- yeah. Builders of the additive. Well, they, they it fixed it in nineteen eighty nine, and right. uh, yeah, all these decades later, I'm I'm willing to give them a chance. But like, there was that. It just depends who's in, who's in, in charge. Yeah, you know, who's calling the shots. That's another problem with these like kind of off the grid organizations that have their own form of government structure going on. I mean, and, and it's only a problem when people get drawn to it because of their curiosity, and then they get isolated by some charismatic whoever, you know, and not to say that that's what was going on at Boda, but it happens, you know, and people, mm-hmm. their lives become miserable yeah. because of the people in power and their issues, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I'll point out that um, within any organization where you're going through an alchemical process, be it masonry uh you know a rosicrucian organization like the golden dawn or not um you know the oto whatever it may be there's there's in a lot of and especially in the old mysteries there's a lot of emphasis placed early on um and should be in my opinion on on uh, morality not as as a question of um religious questions but morality as the idea of, of mores the old use of the word which is that there are certain tenets that I believe in that are universal, and I need to focus on these a lot more when I'm going through these changes. So, you, for example, in Freemasonry, one of the things that you hear, if you look at the first degree, for example, and um, first degree is, is where it starts, is this is how you need to treat people. This is how you need to treat yourself. This is how you need to start opening up your mind and start looking at other things. This is very important. And you're supposed to get that down and be able to do that before you move on. The first limb of yoga is the yamas. This is how to treat people. Don't steal. Don't abuse your sexual energy. No violence. Right. Those are, yeah, the basic tenets of yoga also. I mean, that, that's like speaking of uh, things that are more popular and more connected and more True. gender equal. True. <laughs> and even a little bit female heavy. So I guess that's how I am. I am throwing my, uh, my, my eggs in that basket. So that's good. Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, More yogis and less masons. No, yogi masons. Yogi masons. <laughs> I was talking to another um, Golden Dawn practitioner um, recently about the Golden Dawn and how that's missing from, from the Golden Dawn as well. And mm. and how well and we know any kind of magical order. Well, like, the old one, surely. Yeah, it's missing from Victorian England. I'm, well, if you're just on a Victorian England script, you're going to be missing all the stuff they were missing in Victorian right. England. Exactly. You know, if you isolate yourself from 
the big bad Babylonian grid, and you're hiding in a in a warehouse somewhere, yeah. living according to a Victorian script. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you missed it. Yeah, if you're like no Crowley or anything since, you know. Well, and it's important for the person too. I think um, how we think about ourselves and how we treat ourselves is, is every bit as important because you got to start there. But yeah. I mean, there's a little bit in, for example, like in the in the obligation um, about I will how I will treat other members. Yeah. But it's not clear enough. And I think I think there's a lot of stuff that's happened um, in in what used to be thought of as the same thing, which is with magic and psychology, right? Now psychology has gone off in a different direction and come out, come back with a lot of good stuff. That that is related to the to the path, and you know, of course, there's Israel Regardi who insists on going through both of these channels at the same time. I think there's a lot of things like cognitive behavioral therapy, for example, just about how you think about things affecting your life should be introduced into a system of occult study, especially along with all these other things that you're starting to do, because you really got to work from within both first. Crossover, yes, yeah, absolutely, a little bit. And so, um, one of the things that I you know I was really happy to, to hear was, for example, in um, episode 17, I think it was, when the Thuban Temple, mm. um, when they were talking about the recognition system that they were working on, um, trying to get together. Might be 18? Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> but um, they were they were talking about the idea that maybe there's a way Golden Dawn Lodges can become loosely affiliated. There's and five. Learn from each other. Five orders that are all welcome in each other's uh, temples. So, yeah. that's cool. Yeah. That's real cool. You I'd know, like to be on that list if I, I were... You know, involved in a temple one day. But my, the thing about Masonry, too, is a lot of people look at Freemasonry like it's this organization that no longer has any value um, as far as the Western mysteries go. They don't they don't really inform you unless it's in the context of the Golden Dawn. A lot of people disregard it because it's men only. Like, you can't get anyone of the female gender to take it seriously because they're not allowed there. And, it, I mean, it's been, what, 90 years since they've had the vote? So, I mean, yeah, it is kind of considered a, a relic by most people. Yeah, it's true, but I don't think that's why. That may have a, that's the that may be reason. a con contributing factor. Yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, we're, being, being a Mason and, and talking to people who are interested in Masonry and what they're looking for, um, and, and also talking to a lot of people about it because I'm a Mason, um, most people, from what I've heard, say that they don't think it's relevant. And if they're in, if they're into Masons, don't think it's relevant. <laughs> no, talking to people who who aren't Masons. Oh, oh, right. Think right. that it's um, and and they think that well, it, does it really have anything anymore? Hasn't it become watered down? Isn't it uh, just a old boys' club? Um, and so some of that perception may be fed by the idea that um, you know people are mad that it's for men only. Um, but I do want to point out that uh, Masonry actually does have its own system. Of enlightenment, it actually does have its own teachings, and they are universal teachings. So, um, any kind of time that you're bringing down something that's ethereal well, like yeah. that and putting it no, no, a like lens. Judaism is, was long, for a long time it was men only. I mean, so anybody who's a, a, a Jewish female who's aware of, of of her traditions, that is a recent development on something, and that's why I'm for co-masonry. But I think that traditional masonry, well, I respect them and I respect Orthodox Jews. You know, to the right to be Orthodox Jews over there, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, I'm more going to throw my vote in, if there's a vote, you know, behind the ones that are men and women on yeah. perfect equality. Like, for, there was a point where um, I had a lot of Aquarian things in a row. I had, like, three episodes in a row. And so uh, Z was saying, oh, you should have the Father Yod quote at the beginning of every episode. 
and I had to clarify this is the Esoteric Nerd podcast. This is not an Aquarian podcast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so similarly, I'm just you know needing to clarify this is not a traditional Masons podcast. I'm interviewing traditional Masons, mm-hmm. but I'm also interviewing you know, the priestess well, of the thirteen moons. And 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 the thing is, is that Masonry is something that is around, and there are a lot of people who are occultists who are yeah. also Masons. Um, and, it, and it's nice to have a conversation about the values of masonry without oh, yeah. saying, oh, but masonry doesn't right. like women. Well, it's like talking about the, I mean? the good stuff that, that Thomas Jefferson did without saying, oh, but he slaves. made love to his slaves. Yeah. I wish they went through the, the 32 degrees one at a time. I mean, it seems like they just skip to the end. They're like, congratulations, this is your third initiation. You're now a 32nd degree. What? What, mm-hmm. what was the first? Did you start with the fool? What, what was that like? You know, like, do you know the Sefer Yetzirah? How are you a master mason and you don't know what the Sefer Yetzirah is? <laughs> you know, that's all I, I'm saying. I mean, that's when they talk about watered down, I think the Masons 100, 200 years ago would have known what the Sefer Yetzirah was. I think that Joseph Smith knew a lot more than a lot of people who have the title Grand Master and all that. Yeah, yeah, and and there's a lot of confusion about what they call higher degrees. If somebody's a 33rd degree, um, they are not a higher degree than a third degree Mason. The third degree is the highest degree in Masonry. Oh. And so, to be clear, Masonry, as what we call the Blue Lodge or the Craft Lodge, is the first three degrees. Then there are other organizations who were started by Masons to explore things that are that are talked about in the first three degrees in greater detail. Right. So one path is the Scottish Rite. The Scottish Rite is the one that goes degree four, five, six, all the way up to 32. Okay. 33, um, now there may be a ceremony that they induct somebody into the 33, but but it's not technically, no. Oh, it's it's not like karate, the 10th degree black belt? No, what it technically is, is is that it's a recognition degree. It's it's like an honorary degree to say, you have devoted a lot of time towards masonry, towards the Scottish Rite, towards charities, towards, you are an exemplary person, and this is what we want to represent the exemplary behavior, the 33rd degree. Yeah. And so it's, it's. I don't know that there's any lessons that go along with it, that there's a ceremony that goes along with it. Who knows? So, uh, but just to be clear, the Scottish Rite was put together for the purpose of exploring a lot of things like the Kabbalah and alchemy that make their appearance in the first degrees in a veiled manner. And there's also the Scottish Rite. And the Scottish, or the uh, York Rite, which is which is some other collection of other older degrees as well. And it's, it's more... Uh, it has more of a Jewish flavor, in my hmm. opinion. Well, it's it's actually broken up into a couple of different organizations. So one of them is the Knights Templar, which is Christians only. And then there's one that's the Royal Arch, which is basically that the, the idea is the continuation of the third degree, and it's focused on Judaism, technically. If you really break it down, it's it's Kabbalistic in nature. Hmm. So, so anyways, yeah, a lot of people don't know uh, a lot about it, but there are movements within Masonry to reestablish some of this learning for example, there's a Scottish Rite uh, in Oakland, California, that gives you each individual degree. So you get the fourth degree by talking about it, learning about it, seeing it, being a part of it. Then you go on to the fourth degree a month later, or however long it takes them. So they actually do go degree to a degree. And that's a new movement to restore some of that dignity in, in the Masonry. One of the, the things that you learn in Masonry, which informed the, the American Revolution, is the idea that true liberty is the ability to, to have your feelings about things without making everybody else do it, because that would be taking away their liberty. So it's a personal thing. This is what does, you know, and there's actually, there's some things that have been said about George Washington where he says, I feel this way about this, but I think it would be better for the country if we did it this way. So he's he's separating those two ideas, and that's, right. a, that's a problem, I think, yeah, in I, a lot of yeah. organizations. It's just they don't understand that. Hmm. 
what's right for you can be just as right for you and just as wrong for anybody else. And, and you know, I don't know. It's two sides of the coin. The street goes both ways. You try to take away other people's rights to do whatever. Um, you're giving them the power to do the same to you. And you always have the freedom to do what your conscience tells you is right, as long as it doesn't violate any of the precepts of the country that you live in. Like, the way I say it is you have the right to believe anything you want. You don't have the right to treat other people any way you want. And that's the difference between you and the society that's larger than you. My uh, my stepmom is uh, is her her version of what what we would call a self initiate solo practitioner. For all the aforesaid reasons and all the reasons that have men- been mentioned in every episode of this podcast, uh, isn't into groups at all. <laughs> that any time you have two or more people working together, and that's your spirituality. Like mm-hmm. if your spiritual practice is right. a group practice, yeah. Uh, that it's inevitably going to end in tears and schism and choices and unpleasantness and enemies. And, and so, therefore, you know, one ought <laughs> or, or, you know, she chooses and I can relate and I, I, I can, I personally, I try to keep enough distance from all the cults that I can have an interaction with them, but still be on the solo path because, uh, having one's, spiritual heart be in the temple that you build in your bedroom or Mm -hmm. spare room if you have the luxury of having a spare room that you can dedicate to being your personal temple space um that's where it's at that's where you find your sacred ground and if your sacred ground is at a at a masonic hall only i think that you know find it find it at home you know find it in in your heart find it Absolutely. And and it might include elements from this organization or that organization or the morals and dogma or or no, or, or elsewhere. Um, Golden Dawn, Buddhism, different different forms of Buddhism. I mean I'm I'm just starting to tip my toe into the world of, of maybe actually becoming involved in a quote unquote Buddhist temple. Uh, for the first time, mm-hmm. to, you know, I mean, at 37, I've, I've done all the, well, not all the Western stuff. I didn't do any of the Crowley stuff, but I, maybe when I'm old. I can imagine that if I'm old and I've done all the other stuff, and there's like, why not? You know, I might as well try OTO. But, I mean, I'm not interested at the moment. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to me. Yeah. Someone says, you want to read all of this stuff? And I'm like, mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I have my own scribbled notes based on my Golden Dawn practice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I have to decipher my own magical diaries. I don't need to. Yeah, I don't need to get into someone else's <laughs> like subconscious post-digested interpretation of the symbol. It's nice that, that, you know, people are trying not to live in a vacuum. I mean, the, the Golden Dawn, for example, to say that, yeah, we're, we're in order and there's an order over there and, and, and uh, you know, what we're doing is different. <laughs> it, may, it might be a little bit different. You might oh, have some everybody's different. Things, you know? No, some people say, oh, some people say, oh, yeah. you know. But, so, but, it, but it's the same tradition. It's the it, same, yeah. Yeah, it's the same path. In, in, in essence, there are some different shrubbery along the, the path, but for the most part, you're going the same direction. And, you know, the, the thing that's nice about the... You, like, the Theban Temple put up the pillars. They said these are the pillars of recognition, which is uh, from masonry, actually. The, in, in masonry, they had the, what was called the uh, landmarks. Oh, can we read those and play, play a, a, an, an original NES song? Yeah. Okay, let's yeah. do it. Let's pull it up. 
If you want to be considered a traditional Golden Dawn temple, according to the unified order of the Golden Dawn being pioneered by the Thuban temple who we spoke to in an earlier episode, then their seven pillars of recognition are use of and adherence to the cipher manuscript as a source derivation of, for the established ritual material. Complete memorization of the Outer Order knowledge lectures at each grade by the membership. The Outer Order consisting of five grades that are elemental in nature, namely Neophyte, Zelator, Theoricus, Practicus, and Philosophus. The Inner Order consisting of three grades, which are frequently, though not necessarily, attributed to the alchemical principles, namely Portal, Adeptus Minor, Adeptus Major, and Adeptus Exemptus. The Third Order grades and the secret chiefs of the order being referenced in the order. However, these grades and personages are considered. The Third Order grades are, namely, Babe of the Abyss, Magister Templi, Magus, and Ipsismus. Equality in admission and advancement of all worthy and qualified fratres et sorores, regardless of race, gender, or creed. And finally, the adherence to and the respect of the traditional oaths of secrecy, however these may be interpreted and practiced. Nice. Right. And then they, they actually do give a little bit more clarity. For, oh, one, yeah, that, yeah. one that may need clarity is the one, for example, on the secret chiefs. That's, right. that's always going to be one where people are going to say, well, you know. What's with the secret chiefs? Yeah. Uh, this reference is all that is required to be recognized by Thuban Temple, regardless of whether these grades be physically constituted, conceived of, or left wholly unformed if they are not worked ceremonially, or if the secret chiefs who are said to dwell within the supernal triad or elsewhere, or if they are perceived as physical beings, symbols, or esoteric ideas. The third order grades are in chronological order as follows. Bays of the Abyss, blah, 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 the ones we already heard. The nature, we know, we know those. Uh, the nature of the uh, secret chiefs have long been a point of difficulty and contention, as well as a source of healthy, friendly, and academic debate, and are therefore not under the jurisdiction of this document uh, of these seven pillars. So oh. what they're saying is basically the idea that you make reference to uh, third order grades right. and, and secret chiefs. That's as far as it need to go. Yeah. As long as you say, yeah, there's a third order, yeah. and then however you perceive that to be, still, still legitimate. So they're leaving it open for weirdness. I think they're open, leaving it open for, for people who say... Well, it's traditional. I know this person, or I've spoken with this entity, right. or, you know... It, 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 just the way I understand it is that at the heart of the, the spiritual hierarchy, or the idea that energy's flowing back and forth, there are higher states besides those that we may hold in, a, in a, right. an organization in our incarnated life, and the idea that those ideas, or similar, or however you perceive it, should filter down into what you're doing is important. But it, the ultimate in, like, Matherzonian traditional, the, the, the <laughs> document in the back of what you should know about the Golden Dawn, yeah. where it's that, you know, the Third Order are these particular beings, and only the chief is allowed to talk to them, or they're the only ones whose uh, messagings are considered accurate according to governance of the order, that's where things get weird. Yes. And so, I mean, it's it's one of those things where, you know, I've, I'm familiar with, very familiar with traditional Golden Dawn, 
And it's a good standard by which you can measure things. So you can say, oh, that comes from this, or this comes from that. Yeah. But, I mean, if people say, hey, are you, you know, do you think I should get into this really, really traditional Golden Dawn order? I'm not necessarily going to always go, yes! Yeah, you know, I sure. mean, like if it's CSS, <laughs> I know CSS, so I can vouch yeah. for them. And I know Chick, I can vouch for Chick. Like, um, there's others I, I also know and would say no, you know, the ones mentioned at the beginning of this interview, for instance. Um, you know, uh, there's others out there that I don't know, like, uh, or that I know a little. Like, I know Poke Runyon and Merrick Hamer a little. I, I know some of their members. I know enough to say that if you're into Masons mm-hmm. and you're, you're into traditional Golden Dawn and you're into Shakespearean stuff, then for sure that's yeah. the order you're looking for. I mean, if you happen to live near, near it, and you're yeah. in, looking for a traditional Golden Dawn order, and you're serious. It's I mean, because they have a, they they seem to be very serious and selective about who they initiate. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, what's your deal? What are you doing here? And if right. you if you have a pedigree of, well, I'm already considered an adept in these seventeen orders, they'll say, okay, never mind, bye. Right. But if right. you're like, I realize that I am called to a golden a traditional Golden Dawn practice, I'm. I realize you guys are here, and I listen to this podcast, and and so I think I believe know, that in this order, light of that yes, knowledge of that light may then, be obtained. Then, then yeah. they <laughs> may very well be the ones who can who can facilitate that. Yeah. Um, and if you're in Pomona, it's ogdu.org. And if you're uh, you know um, in Chicago area, for sure, it's uh, uh, Golden Dawn Collegium Spirits. So what's there? It's ogdcss dot something, right? Yeah, order the Golden Dawn Collegium Spiritus Sancti. Yeah. yeah. I don't know why. And other places. Such a long name. And there's two <laughs> options in Denver, so I'm torn. I don't know whether to tell you to go uh, for my old friend or my new friend. Uh, go to both. You know? Yeah, yeah, check it out. There's a Yield Magic Shop, Shoppy? Shoppy. Yeah. <laughs> you go to Yield Magic Shoppy and, it, you know, say BT sent you and you're looking for the Golden Dawn. Yeah, and, and so the way that the, the Masonic system is based is you have different lodges all over the world. And just take, for example, the United States. In California, there's a Grand Lodge that is, in, you know, basically looking out for all the lodges in California. Well, in in New York, they're going to have the same thing. So, how do they decide? Well, um, are you guys cool? Can our people come visit you? Vice versa. What they have to to keep it loose enough that enough people can do it, but keep it still have have having the right character of masonry. Um, they do what's called the recognition system, and it's based on landmarks, and it depends on who you read to find out how many they are, but they're basically things like every Masonic Lodge should be doing this. And so it's really unique because the, there's still a system for difference and divergence, but there's also a core that they know is always going to be the same, always traditional. And so the fact that they're doing that in the Thuban Temple yeah. is, is the seven pillars of recognition is amazing. One of, the, one of the things that I think is so annoying is, and again, I'm speaking for Masonry because this is my experience and not because I think it's... it's uh, shedding light on everything we talk about. But in this case, it will. Um, I would tell people, like when I was master uh, of, of the lodge, that I was a part of... totally going to go somewhere else with that, but go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't talk about that on the radio. <laughs> I do. I, you know, even like That's one in... Gwydian's, uh, Gwydian talks about it, but I don't. <laughs> Gwydian, get out Ed, here. Edward would never do such a thing. He's a Christian. <laughs> You know, there are people that I would say, hey, I like you. I really think, you know, it would be nice to have you around. But um, I'm not sure if my lodge is the one you want to join. Right. Because you're looking for something that we don't offer. Yeah. Yeah. And the, and the thing is, people, would, you could encourage them, go meet these guys at this lodge. Go meet these guys at that lodge. 
determine which one has the best personality, whether they're interested in the esoteric things that you're interested in, or if you don't want any of that stuff, don't go to that lodge. What if you all know? you're interested in is the ability to use the cool lodge room by yourself? Is that something they offer? I mean, because Temple of Isis used to offer that. It Did just you... depends. Uh, it depends. I mean, that's a whole different subject because it depends on their hall association. The hall association is usually who is in charge of the hall, and they're usually running it out to people to, to cut down the cost. But what about when nobody's using it? When no one's using it, you can go in there and use it all you want. Wow. Cool. You yeah. got the keys? Well, ahead. most of the time the lodge is open. It just depends. Like where where I went in, in San Jose, um, we had a lodge building where there were three, <laughs> so like a janitor, three in the lodge rooms. <laughs> yeah. So so it was almost always unlocked. The doors were open because oh, cool. if you wanted to go and let's say you're a vendor, you know, yeah. or you wanted to rent the place, you right. could go talk to them. So and I just if you wear a suit there. and an apron, then they're like, oh, right, right this way, sir. <laughs> Masterful, worshipful. Wait, let me see your ring. <laughs> <laughs> well, the point that I was making is that um, when you get into a Golden Dawn organization and you're just like, man, I've been here two years. Um, I'm all the way up to uh, you know practicus, but I, I really don't know if this is the right place for me. Um, let me go start over somewhere else, and that's uh, kind of a bummer. You know, you go to another organization right. and you find out this is the one where the people and I really oh, rock. so Thuban would would allow you to. I don't know that they maybe would. if you moved. I don't know how how it works when you switch. Most most organizations that I know will not let you bring your friends right, over, right. and it, and it's for various reasons. Um, I think it's a little stupid, honestly. I think as long as there's some. So again, maybe breaking it down to into each grade. This says that as long as you learn the and teach the grade lectures, right, the yeah. knowledge lectures, that you're still abiding by that symbolism of that degree. And then there's all kinds of other stuff that you may or may not get depending which organization you go to. So you're going to go to any other organization and they're going to say, well, oh, you guys look at that in the orchestra? We don't even get into that until 5, 6. Oh, wait, you don't do this? We are always doing this. Yeah, that's but true. But I think that's something you can work around. Yeah. Let's say, you know, hey, we, we do work with... Um, yeah, because we're all grown-ups here. Right, right, <laughs> you know? right. Yeah. So I'd like to see that. But I was really impressed... Um, uh, was it Flight of Hermes? I think put out the Initiates Bill of Rights and Responsibilities. Yeah, I think that's I tried a to good read thing. that the other day, but I got bored. It's so long. I, I wish there were some bullet points, like so just some real basic bullet points. Like, well, it's basically don't yeah. screw each other over. Like, the, the, it's 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 a two way thing. It is. So it's it's written from the point of view of. Of the organization. Of the organization. And the member. But it's also, it's written from the point of view of an organization being formed at, in the, in the, in the wake of a revolution away yes. from a cult leader. So it's basically to protect the initiates. Yes. But it also includes that, but the initiate does have these responsibilities. And even if we, we don't see eye to eye and we part ways, you still are bound to the oath of secrecy, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And so the, it includes that stuff. Which I think, I mean, there's a certain natural, I think, assumed caveat there, where if what's going on is horrifying and or illegal, uh, you know, and definitely unethical, I think that maybe you should breach your oath of secrecy a little. Yeah. You know, maybe post it on a blog or maybe take some pictures or tell the authorities. Mm -hmm. But I mean, you know, like, so like not all oaths of secrecy to all cults should be uh, adhered to at all times by all ex members. I don't. I don't agree with that aspect of the initiates. Bill of yeah, we talked about. This I, don't, I also too. don't agree with the the thing yeah. that teachers shouldn't do drugs with their students. I right. do that all the time. Yeah. There's great <laughs> so, drugs out there, yeah. right? I know. And there's like DMT and acid and mushrooms and pot. Right. And and uh, just because someone happens to be my student doesn't mean they're also my buddy. They're I mean, not your friend. I, I I always well, hated that dis distinction. And I, and and you know I mean. 
It's, you get you get that in colleges, and it's probably useful in certain contexts, just not for me. I think and not after twenty. I years, think it's just you know? it's just an awareness. What is useful about that? Well, we we don't want certain things to happen. Okay, yeah. then don't do that behavior. Yeah. These these drawing lines in places and making distinctions where it's really just fuzz. It's not really about this is what we really don't want to happen. And there's right. a certain there's a certain amount of illusion that that is maintained within the Golden Dawn, for example, about things where it's like, guys, come on. It's 2015. Let's talk about this. This is tradition. The ones who capitalize the word traditional. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So I mean, it's there's always ways to work around stuff. It it could just needs to be flexible. And yeah. a lot of it is shortcut. People I just need don't want to be flexible think about too. It. That's why I do yoga. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, the Bill of Rights is good. I think it probably it's good. Could be updated. No, it's good. I just if I were to if I were doing it, I would change it a little. I That's think it needs to be updated because you're right. It was part of a reactionary. Yeah. A time period, and it's not to say that it's reactionary, but some of the things. No, it was it was done very it was done quickly. There's a lot of enlightenment, that and it was meant to be a seed. Thing. It was meant to be like a here's something to think about, and either adopt or you know do something like this. You know, like everybody ought to do something like this, or this should be assumed. Things that used to be assumed. It's like those signs that yeah. say "Don't drown your puppies in the in the in the pool" yeah. or whatever. It's like <laughs> some it's because somebody did that. You know, yeah. so like anything everything on the Initiates Bill of Rights, you get a list of shit that once happened. You it's know, true. Don't it's true. do this shit that once happened. You know? Yeah. You know, there's a certain Saturn element to it. I think it's good to really just distinguish the bare minimum things. This is what we don't do. This is what we do. Everything else we can work out. Right. There's a freedom in that. You yeah. know what I mean? Rather than just saying, well, you know, well, we're not sure about you that. Well, if you set up a rule like no sleeping with your students, then it's, a, you know, it's, it feels oppressive to the teacher and the student that are in love, you know. And well, one that's, of them, an, you know, that's a rule, exception to the rule. Yeah, you know? yeah. Flexible. But I, I don't think that's something that has to be set in stone. I think it's like you should avoid things that may try tend, to avoid this. Try yeah. to avoid, avoid things that may tend to uh, problems within right. an organization. Yeah, yeah. But uh, for example, we were talking about but when you make it the oaths, thou shalt not or the oaths, else, for example, you know? right? The, there's different elements of that. It, it should be like this: Don't give the information about other people in the organization. They need to have the option to do that or not. Um, get their permission. Get first. their permission first. Yeah. Oh, and the other thing is try not to talk. And spill the beans too much to other people. Maybe even they can find this stuff online, but that's not the reason why. The reason is so that you're not putting it out there. You're keeping it within and, and letting it mutate within you. And, and instead of getting other people's reaction to it, but right. you want to have it on your own. So try to do that as much as possible. And just clarify it that way. Because then if you say, well, somebody came to me and asked me about this, and I really need to clarify some things because they had it wrong and it's this is bad. You know, that's fine. What you did was fine. You had a good reason to do it. As long as you didn't give out anyone's information, and that's the minimum. Do not do that without their permission. I mean, that's as simple as the oaths need to be. Hmm. You know? Yeah, I don't know. I think that, yeah, the, as far as revision goes, like if, I mean, this is all as far as a traditional Golden Dawn order goes. But if, if someone were to ask me, I mean, because like earlier in an episode, episode 7, I believe, we were talking about what if someone came along and wanted to do an order in the image of the Aquarian family? You know, or yeah. what, you know, so like, what if, so if someone were to ask me what it, what, like, there would certainly be elements of Golden Dawn in it, mm -hmm. but there would be a lot more yoga, and there would be elements missing that are in Golden Dawn that, that wouldn't be in Golden Dawn. For example, that whole speech of the Carricks with the wine wouldn't be in it at all. Mm -hmm. There would be no reference to anything violent right. happening. 
to the member as a result of their uh, breaking their oath, when afterward you're just going to say, oh, well, you know, that's all just to be traditional. Now you're a nerd like us. You know, I mean, Mm -hmm. that's the only benefit is if you're a big nerd Mm -hmm. and you really, really, really want to go through exactly the same ceremony that Crowley did. Traditional Golden Dawn Orders are there to fulfill that particular nerdism. But as far as something that's really going to advance us into the future, I think it has yet to be written. Well, and, it, and it's also the thing to say, you know, this part sounds really violent. We're not sure how we feel about this, but there may be something deeper going on. Yeah. Explore it yourself. Maybe. Don't go out there breaking bodies and pouring out blood because someone broke their oath. But Well, Jack the Ripper. Know. Yeah, case in point. Yeah, you know. exactly. So, but, I, you know, I'd love to see more of that. I'd love to see, I know it's not traditional, but I'd love to see yoga, if not from a spiritual perspective, at least from a calisthenic perspective, and saying, let's release some of this shit in your body yeah. so that you can start releasing some of the stuff in your mind while you're going through this process. And then yeah. couple that with cognitive behavioral therapy, um, you know, uh, just opening up your, your space about things where it's, you know, now you have a, a mindset of abundance rather than of limitation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because really the outer order initiations are all Malkut. It's like the earth of Malkut, the water of Malkut, the air of Malkut. It's all part of the same earth. Right. Like you're doing the, the water of earth, the fire of earth. And so within that, earth is also your goof, right? It's your yeah. body. Let's, let's work on your, on your fitness. I mean, not to the point where it's like, uh, what are you eating? But just make some decisions about this. Incorporating that somehow into these. So it's like you're working on all levels. Because yeah. there's also something about doing a thing on the physical level that helps you really integrate it. Like when I was, I was in Aikido, the philosophy behind Aikido, which is the which is Japanese martial art, is the idea of, of it, the train's coming instead of trying to get in front of the train and stop it, use the train's energy against it. And, it, and it's a peaceful martial art, which the idea is that um, you want to hurt somebody enough so that they know they don't want to fight with you <laughs> so that they won't fight. You know, you don't go out starting fights. Aikido doesn't have um, matches where they fight each other. Very, very cool one. But the idea is taking some someone's energy and blending with it. And and because then then you're free from the karma of it for one thing, they they do what they do right, and so the idea of just going with the flow in life was something I really needed to learn at the time, and I was trying to get it, I was trying to understand it, I was getting it from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, and 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 trying to understand it. Something about doing it physically, where you're actually physically holding someone's um, arm and then trying to let their energy flow and use it against them. Bringing it down to the physical level, I started doing it in my life. I started letting go of things and just going with the flow. I don't, I don't know how that works, but mm. you know, it's it's like it's like Malkuth's the recipient of all this stuff. This receptacle brings it down to a, a place of, of action, you know, in the world of Asaya. And in neophyte, you would learn yoga and meditation, and you'd focus on yamas and niyamas. Yeah. And when you were able to, for example, maybe maybe once you're 500 hours certified or something like that, you can graduate to Zelator. Mm-hmm. And then from there, I think it would be interesting interesting mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. use a Tree of Life model, but not stop. Like start with Malkuth mm-hmm. and use not exactly the Sefer Yetzirah 32 to 1, right. but use the Sefer Yetzirah 10, 32, 9, 31. It'll make sense to the real nerds out there. Yeah. The rest of you, ask a nerd. Um, so in other words, you start with your temple in Malkut. Right. Now that you are a yogi, when you're meditating next time, 
build your temple in Malkut. So you start to realize that now that you're able to to, to meditate in perfect lotus, mm -hmm. and you're you're breathing your pranayama breathing, and you've got your your vegan now, you know, um, then then uh, you know then you can really start to visualize your temple, and this is your own perfect temple in your perfect space, mm -hmm. and uh, that's where you focus on that. Maybe it's not secret. But it, you, when you're in that grade, that's where you focus on building it. And then maybe you start hiking and you start like going out in nature and traveling and discovering all the different places in the earth. And you're all focused on earth and it's all about the earth. And that's also where you focus on your place in the earth. What's mm. going to be your place in the earth? Yeah. So if you're rich, you don't have to worry as much about that part, obviously. But if you're not rich, then they, then there'd probably be some focus on, you know, okay, what are you going to do? What do you, what's your place going to be? And obviously if, the, if it were a wealthy order or a church, you know, then maybe they could put you to work, uh, you know, at the shop or something. You know what I mean? Like right. there could be some kind of arrangement. Yeah. Um, that'd be ideal. But then, so then the next grade, once you had your earth worked out, in other words, once you were feeding whoever you had to feed, if it's just you, great. If it's you and the family, okay, got to yeah. feed them. Mm -hmm. um, once that was down and you were doing yoga and all this other stuff, the next grade could be, uh, could be you sewed. I mean, the next grade could be the, the 32nd path at top. Then you're focusing on astral work. You're focusing on all this kind of like getting pretty far out. Stuff. Right. Maybe getting in some Vajrayana, getting in some advanced uh, uh, stuff. Getting in, maybe even getting into some deep bun, the the pre-Buddhist Tibetan and Buddhist, uh, you know, Shingon and uh, Tibetan Buddhist esoteric stuff. Yeah. And then from there. Uh, you get into Yisod, and then you're building your temple in Yisod. Well, then what, Jesus? I don't know. No, Jesus comes later. <laughs> but I mean, if you went all the way up, like if you just, I mean, but it was assumed that the whole time you're doing yoga, yeah. like it's just, those are basic assumptions, is that every day you're doing yoga, you're meditating, and you're being, you're being harmless, you're being, you know, and, and, uh, Keeping an eye on what you're doing and your carbon footprint and like that stuff is basic. You never grad, you never stop doing that. You're always doing that. And then, and then you're work, you're just working with this idea of earth and then you're working with this idea of space and then you're working with this idea of the moon and then you're working with this idea of judgment mm -hmm. and then, uh, maybe work your way up the, uh, tree of life. But I mean, at that point, it almost seems superfluous. It's like if you're already doing, once you're in step one, it's like the rest of it just seems sort of I know, like an open source order, the Golden Dawn does some of that stuff. Yeah, um, you know, the, some of the Buddhist stuff, anyways. It's that's uh, applicable. Yeah, which I think is cool. Well, it also is. It, it's connected. You can connect to other things through it. You can mm -hmm. connect to other traditions through it. I, you know, I was struggling with that for a long time because you know me, like for a longest time, you're like, oh, did you know this one thing that has to do with practicus? And I'm like, no, wait, I'm not there yet. Don't tell me. You know, uh, I, you know, I got to the point where it's like, well. Why do I, why am I like that? And you said, you know, you gotta learn the rules before you break them, right? And I, and I go along with that. So even, even so, when I, I have a friend, for example, who's a, who's a frauder, and he's in the Golden Dawn, he's working through the Grays, and he says, you know, um, I'm really interested in joining the, uh, other organization here, and I was like, you know, you should do that someday. <laughs> I wouldn't do it right now, because take this on its own. And I even kind of have revised that. I think it's possible to do that. But but the idea is, if you're going to learn a system of something, uh, you take it on its own merits, and you learn it up all the way. I mean, learn the shit out of it, right? Yeah. And then start adding stuff. But but it would be nice to have something, you know, that integrates a lot of those things and be able to keep them separate. 
Which it is would be interesting part. to be to join as a neophyte in three different Golden Dawn orders and then graduate to Zelator in all three of them. And <laughs> you know, I started doing that with two. Yeah, you know, after the yeah. schism, right? I was like, well, uh, cool. I'll just yeah. keep. I'll just An keep testing at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it didn't work out that way, but yeah. I'll take a test. Oh, you know, so like in one order, I'm still like way back there, and then. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. It's fun. But there's self-initiation, too. My buddy, after he left in Theorcus back in the day, I started initiating him. Every few years, I'd be like, I think you're ready for Practicus. And then more recently, it was, I think you're ready for Philosophus. And I just sit there and read the initiation to him and describe what's happening around him. And in this case, I brought him into the temple, and I played all three roles. And, uh, huh, cool. So, but Except I was just like, you know... A lot of Old Testament rage and fire and brimstone and shit. Okay, so that's pay. <laughs> but, you know, but I did the Lord is a man of war. Come this way. And I moved the pillars around and shit. I, you know, I did it. But I, it, I did it sort of quick style. I probably, I, maybe irreverent, but I mean, he's an irreverent guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's got the tattoos and shit, so he's serious. Do you remember, I'm uh, just curious, the, the first time we met in person in yeah. San Francisco? Oh. It was, oh, it, yeah, it was yeah, when, yeah. It was when yeah. was having some kind of, of uh, yeah. And, um, and I was in, in San Jose living there still. It, it was funny because, uh, he was pairing us up and I'm like, oh, man, I'm, I'm a shy person. Oh, look, there's another Scorpio. Yeah. <laughs> and it was sort of FSM. Yeah. And, uh, and then you're over to the side and I'm like, where'd this guy come from? What is he staring at us? You know, what's he doing? Uh. And, and then I was like, oh, weird. And then, and then we get done, and then she introduces herself, and you introduce yourself. And I say, oh, you're that guy! Mm. The guy I talked to on the phone! You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it was just kind of funny, but, um, my favorite memory, and I just have to share this because it's so, so funny and so quintessentially you, was, was on the Equinox, where the, group of people that became CSS said, okay, we're done. We're, we're, we're leaving now. Um, <laughs> when it was all this awkward stuff going on in the temple and it was very serious and, and a lot of us were like, okay, I've been here two years. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, what is this? It's just very strange. And so then eventually, you know, they all walk out of the temple and now we're all, and I was Carrick's. So, so leaves and, and a bunch of other people leave out of the, out of the room and they're having some conversation and we're all sitting there. And and being the good depth that you are, you're like, you know, we should probably turn this back to the heart, you know, to the spirit. So you started, Kadosh, Kadosh, anybody? Okay, no, fine. <laughs> totally broke the silence. It was just so hilarious. <laughs> and that was like, okay, this guy's cool. As long as he sticks around, you know. <laughs> I remember thinking, you know, like, man, how's that, this guy do this stuff in the lodge? Nobody says anything to him? Uh, how does he get away with <laughs> how it? How does he get away with it? But yeah, and then other people try it. That's That was what would happen was people would come through the grades and they'd be learning everything here at the sanctuary. And then when they get up to Portal, they'd say shit that I would say. It was shit that I said every day, in yeah, fact. Yeah. And they would be denied entry into the second order for it. And so, yeah, it's nice that CSS is there for those people. Absolutely, absolutely. And that's pretty much it. I just wanted to get some of those things out about about how we uh, how we can learn some things from Freemasonry and putting it into the Golden Dawn, and vice versa. Yeah. Of course, it always seems to go the other way. But uh, but I think I think some that things work to use to use the system. You know, I think in a positive way might include 
for instance, when you're doing the Kabbalistic cross mm -hmm. and you get larger and larger and larger before you begin, and the whole physical universe goes to your feet and all the galaxies go to your feet before you reach up to that ineffable self that is pre-existence, the, the, the alpha and the omega, the, the true self, right. and you draw down the line and say, thou art the kingdom, and you draw the line from above the head to the feet. It's important to remember that all of this bullshit, <laughs> all the particulars of form, all the, the you know, the, the, the fingers pointing at the various moons reflecting the various suns are, um, are all at the feet. And, uh, then, you know, before you move on with the ritual. And then, and then for me, you know, I've really found, I've found great benefit in yoga. I mean, I really, if, if, for, if, I'm, I'm making the To Be a Yogi podcast and I'm working on it on a good, episode right now um that's kind of my way of entering into the world of yoga that's me entering yoga as a little fish in a big pond but as a big fish in a little pond <laughs> um i'm i'm talking to other esoteric nerds saying dude if you're not doing yoga you, you really ought to <laughs> if you're in your 20s go ahead and keep eating that jack-in-the-box enjoy yeah. it while it lasts yeah but if you're getting into your 30s and you're still eating the jack-in-the-box and your body has changed and you're no longer metabolizing it dude don't worry keep eating the jack-in-the-box do a yoga one yoga class a week yeah and then in a month up it to two that's right. all i'm saying if you want if you want my advice and uh because really when you're 70 and 80 years old and you're smiling ear to ear and 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 you're loving life you'll thank me <laughs> yeah yeah and and apparently from a, a recent interview that i heard uh, about uh Terrence McKenna um do micro doses of LSD uh, oh, yeah. for the last 20 years of your life so you can live to be 102 or at least that's we what i derived play, from it <laughs> we'll play we'll play some clips from that maybe at the uh, outro of this this episode we'll play play some selected highlights of that episode. Well, thank you for being a guest on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast today, Drew. Always a good time. I, I was worried because I was like, oh, God, three Masons in a row. But this was, was different. This was, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there was no poetry. So, yeah. <laughs> well, not no, intentionally. I loved yeah. the other Masons. I love, you know, I'm not saying anything bad about Masons. Just let the women in. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. But, yeah. but uh, no, I love I think Masonry. I might have actually said more about Masonry than you did. guys did. That's, That's true. The thing. Yeah, know? yeah. They were speaking, you know, they were identified as Masons of that lodge. But, but just if anybody, you know, has any comments uh, or, or questions about any of the stuff that I was talking about on this podcast, um, I'm on um, Facebook at Caduceus Coaching. Cool. Caduceus Coaching. Um, and, uh, and that's where I kind of have a discussions with people about these different things. So Nice. Thanks for having me on. It's, it's always fun. And, uh, I mean, we sit and talk about this stuff anyways. You might as well record it. And <laughs> I it know. Half the people. time I'm thinking we should be recording this yeah. right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But, uh, but there's always the Edward Reed podcast. We can just leave the thing recording and talk about whatever. But Thanks again, Edward. Absolutely. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye. I'm not actually reading. Yeah, you're still going to Well, thank you, Drew, for being on the Esoteric Nerd Podcast tonight. You're welcome. So, this is the outro. closing now. Um, and as promised, we're going to close with... What was it? 
Uh, it's actually an interview between uh, Tim Ferriss and Jim Fadiman, and it's from the uh, the podcast, the Tim Ferriss Show. It's a uh, it's highlights from it. Apparently, he's buddies with with that guy that runs Virgin Airlines. So I was a little bit like, mm, rich kids talking about their their experiments on their brain. But okay, they're sharing the information with 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 the little people, so yeah. might as well uh, support it. So we'll close with that. And as always, thank you for tuning in. Is there a Masonic go forth and multiply? or No, it ends with a prayer. 4hourworkweek.com, episode 66. This is a rambling, meandering discussion of all the implications and applications, therapeutic and otherwise, of these substances that have really been criminalized and politicized in, in my view, a very counterproductive way. So, without further ado, please enjoy a long conversation with Jim Fadiman. Jim, welcome to the show. It's a real pleasure to finally be here. I'm so excited to be outside on this gorgeous day in San Francisco, and... I have wanted to have this conversation for so long now. It feels feels like years, but I think it's probably closer to six to nine months. Because uh, the term that you introduced me to, which was microdosing, and I'm sure we'll jump back and forth, but could you define what microdosing is? Yeah, well, let's be clear um, that we're talking about psychedelics because a microdose is simply a little teeny dose of something. Right. With psychedelics, it's actually uh, a low enough dose so it's... It could be called sub-perceptual, which means you don't necessarily see any differences in the outside world. As, as one person said to me, the rocks don't glitter even a little, <laughs> and the flowers don't turn and watch you. <laughs> but you are, uh, you're using it in a way that is uh, really very unknown. Um, Albert Hoffman, who invented LSD, said that, that microdosing was the area of, of kind of the most neglected research. Why do you think it's so neglected? And what are the, the promises or, or applications of microdosing? Well, he took it for the last couple of decades of his life. So I like to think that it helps you be really sharp at 101. How frequently did he microdose over that period of time? It would probably be once or twice a week. What he said is he almost would always take it when he was walking in, with the trees. So what it, what it is and why he said it was under-researched is it... Um, does a far better job of a whole class of drugs which we're now calling cognitive enhancers, mm -hmm. most of which are simply derivatives of speed. Right, definitely, like methylphenidate, Ritalin, I mean, they're, they're uh, lighting well, you Adderall, up. Adderall, uh, probably the most popular among, um, among educated students. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a popular currency for bartering. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, when we talk about small doses, in the case of, say, Hoffman, using it twice per week, would that be in the 100 microgram range? No, 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 no. 100 micrograms is a major dose. That's a major dose. And See, I'm can, not an LSD... Can, uh, aficionado? Uh, I, I'm not, not well-versed. So, <laughs> okay. Let me know, just briefly kind of run through doses because it does sure. matter. Um, let's go from the top down. Sure. Um, Terrence, Terrence McKenna talks about a heroic dose. Don't. Yeah, that's enough to shatter well, what, the most resistant. Well, what ego. happens is you don't remember anything and you don't bring anything back. Got it. It's kind of like you want to go swimming. How about going over Niagara Falls? Right. <laughs> Not but, a lot of time to work on technique. But if we get down to, say, 400 micrograms, that's a 
transcendental dose, that's for mystical experience, that's something you should always have a guide. And this is LSD specifically? This is LSD specifically. If we go down to 200, we're talking psychotherapy, um, deep inner work, uh, all kinds of healing, um, and great for self-exploration. 100 is really useful creative problem solving uh, of, of problems that aren't personal. Mm-hmm. Things like uh, in physics or uh, biomechanics or architecture. And we can talk about some of that work that's been done because there's only been a little bit done and I was involved with all of it. Go down to 50, it, in, again, I'll really reveal my age. It used to be called a museum dose. Now it's called a concert dose. <laughs> <laughs> and 10, 10, 15 is this microdose, which is another person described it as an all chakra enhancer, which is everything is just a little better. You know, at the end of a day when you say, wow, that was a really good day, that's the way most people report a microdose. They're a little bit nicer. They're a little bit... Personally behaving Yeah, this is behavior. They also find that stupid people are not so bad. More tolerant. (laughs) They're much more tolerant, including their relatives, which is really extraordinary. (laughs) Um, They are not at a higher level of creativity, but they can be creative longer, kind of Mm. steady, more in flow. 